The Slate Serial Spoiler Special is brought to you by Squarespace. The new Squarespace 7 platform has a redesigned interface, 15 new templates, integrations with Getty Images and Google Apps, and a new feature called Cover Pages. Try it at squarespace.com and get 10% off when you enter the offer code SPOILER. Squarespace. Start here. Go anywhere. The following podcast contains explicit language. Previously on the Serial Spoiler Special. I can understand the need for sort of an exhalation, a reset. One of the striking things about Deirdre as we uh, meet her in this episode is that she seems so optimistic. This was a total sidecar episode. Burning questions for you guys. I'm wondering if she will be able to introduce evidence that might implicate Jay without worrying about defaming him. You could totally misremember something if you add importance to it. I was totally underwhelmed by the Nisha call. It was written in pen, and that was different. Where was where was Adnan's lawyer? These guys are so fucking wily. Who the hell would he be talking to? That's a huge third person that no one's ever mentioned. Next episode, she's going to talk about Jay. <laughs> Thank God. Hi, I'm David Hagland, a senior editor at Slate, and this is another installment of Slate's spoiler special about Serial, the investigative podcast from This American Life. I hope that, like me, you've just finished listening to Episode 8, The Deal with Jay, and you're ready to dive into everything you just heard. In a little bit, we'll get to some listener mail, and we'll also talk to someone who's organizing a Serial meetup. But first... Let me introduce my co-host, Katie Waldman, a Slate staff writer. She joins me from Slate's Washington, D.C. studio. Hey, Katie. Hello. And this week, we have a very special guest. Her name is Jamie Floyd. She's a journalist and legal analyst who has contributed to Court TV, ABC News, and other outlets. She's the legal contributor at WNYC Radio here in New York and at the newly launched Al Jazeera America. Hi, Jamie. Hi. Now, Jamie, I'm so glad to have you here before you became a journalist, you had a long career in the law. You were a public defender. You were a private uh, criminal attorney. You worked in the Clinton White House on crime policy, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. I'm so curious first just to hear what you think of the podcast so far in, in slightly more general terms. Well, I think the idea of Serial is brilliant. Um, as many critics have said, it's sort of for radio what The Wire was for television, and I was a huge fan of The Wire. I think it was really the best TV show ever, and nothing has surpassed it yet. Um, so as a listener and fan, I love it. But if you're a journalist and a lawyer, you know, it's hard to ever watch anything the same again. It's sort of like being a filmmaker and going to the movies. You dissect everything differently. It kind of ruins it for you in a way. So I'm listening to it in two ways, perhaps differently than just the average lay listener. One, does this kid really deserve to be in prison as a matter of law? In other words, was he guilty beyond a reasonable doubt? And two, how's it stacking up as a piece of journalism? So I, I, there are three, I've got three brains going the whole time. You know, my entertainment brain and how, how do I feel about being entertained by a real-life murder case? And that's something we grappled with every day at Court TV because we did real-life true crime. How do I feel about it as journalism? And then how do I feel about it as a lawyer, which is the easiest part for me? So that's my, my not-so-short answer to your question. Well, there is so much in this episode on all of those levels, yeah. right? Because she finally talked to Jay. Thank God. <laughs> as we all... <laughs> we were waiting and waiting. As we Jay. all wanted her to do. In fact, we've been getting uh, so many emails 
uh, th you know, this week from people who are listening, who, who have questions. Um, Katie, I wonder if you could read one that we got that I thought really kind of captured how we were feeling coming into this episode. Sure. Yeah. From Liam in Scotland and sent in anticipation of episode eight. Liam writes, like everyone else, I'm excited about the prospect of learning more about Jay, but also a little nervous. Jay is really the central character here, other than Adnan and Hay, obviously, and his sole purpose in the narrative of the show so far has been to make us question Adnan's guilt or Jay's own innocence. Everything kind of revolves around what Jay really knows and why he testified against Adnan. Yeah, and I thought the episode captured that perfectly. She talks to this guy, Joe Trainum, if I'm remembering his name correctly. That's correct. He's the police, former police officer in D.C., DCPD, turned investigator, interestingly, of false confessions. Right. Which was, which you know, that kind of hung in the air because you're wondering, mm. you know, is he going to tell us something about what, what Jay, in a sense, also confessed to? I mean, Jay was confessing his involvement. Yes. Even though, as he says, as we have said before, you know, it really feels like he was minimizing his involvement mm -hmm. in the crime. But there's a moment where uh, the, the podcast went silent just before uh, we actually, you know, um, Sarah Koenig actually went to talk to Jay. Yeah. There's, there's this pregnant we pause. Yes. Answer. But for what, things that I could know the answer to, if you're me, what's the biggest thing I need to figure out then? Get Jay to talk. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, there's been so many things like that. I mean, uh, Jamie, you talked about the entertainment value. Yeah. It's really well crafted. Yes. They know what they're doing. So then I'm curious what you thought when they did go to talk to him. What I thought of Jay, what I think of his role in the thing, or what I think of their decision to present him to us now. Well, you said that the easiest brain for you when it comes to this right. podcast is the lawyer brain. So right. first, I'm curious from that perspective, but he, I do want to hear the other Well, that part's too. easy. He shouldn't be in prison. There's just not enough evidence to have this kid in prison. What you've got is a snitch and a bunch of cell phone records, which, although at the time we thought was pretty good evidence, we now are beginning to see as junk science. Even then, when we thought it was reasonably good evidence, the J testimony didn't match up with the science that they thought they had, the cell records. And that's all they had. What, a palm print on a map in a car he admitted he'd been in a hundred times? That's ridiculous. That's not evidence. I've been in that car. She was my girlfriend. That's evidence, please. Uh, that's like saying we found Adnan's hair in her car. Well, of course you did. He was her boyfriend. I mean, there was just nothing really to convict this kid. He shouldn't be there. He gets the presumption of innocence in theory, if not in reality. And they just didn't meet their burden of proof. He had a crummy lawyer, ineffective assistance of counsel. And you really shouldn't be able to convict someone on weak testimony of someone who was facing a potential life sentence for his own conspiracy in the thing. So that that's the easiest part of the three brains that I told you I'm approaching this with. The other two pieces are difficult for me. I feel manipulated because Jay's coming into the story so late when I suspect very strongly they had that piece of tape much earlier in this process. Am I allowed to well, say Well, yeah. That? In fact, I think, we, <laughs> I think we, we know that they did because there's a teaser at the end of episode one where you hear Sarah say, this, you know, if he talks to us, he could answer, 
you know, all these questions we've had for the last eight months, and we've we finally heard that bit of tape in this episode. I mean, it's so tricky, I think, and it's one of the things we've wrestled with as listeners already is, you know, once you decide to tell this story week to week, what is the expectation that listeners have in terms of what you're what you're saying, and is your own opinion going to change? You know, there certainly there are things that could emerge while they're doing it, but there are also things that they they know at the beginning that they've decided, well, that will fit in this episode and that will fit in this episode. And I go back and forth. I mean, I I think that it works marvelously oh, yes. as radio. Yes. I don't really begrudge them for it, but I have heard that frustration but, but, from some people. But don't you feel a little manipulated? But all stories manipulate us, don't you think so? So this is <laughs> this is where I get to, you know, like you said, Encore TV, you wrestle with this all the time. These stories... They grab, they grab you as a listener, as a viewer. You're so interested, and there's a part of it that is f- ethically fraught as a viewer, as a listener. You know, I, the title of this episode was "The Deal with Jay," and the deal, the deal. And there Jay was a deal, but about. we actually didn't hear about that deal. Were you surprised by that, Katie? I mean, what what jumped out at you? I had a bunch of questions. I mean, in terms of what you were talking about with all the reasonable doubt, Jamie, I would love to hear your thoughts on how common it is for a jury to be completely spellbound by a witness or completely convinced. Like, is that a typical thing? Is it often true that with so such scant evidence, like a jury will just absolutely turn against a defendant? Does that happen a lot? Is that surprising to you? No, sadly, it's not. (laughs) I mean, most cases don't get to trial. This one got to trial. And prosecutors only go to trial when they think they're going to win. They they go to trial when they've got a solid case. And so once it gets to trial, as Sarah points out, uh, even Sarah herself admits that you look to the person sitting at the defendant's table and you think, even sort of progressive liberal people think, well, he must have done something wrong or he wouldn't be sitting there. It's very, very hard for people and counterintuitive for people to presume a defendant innocent. And then when a witness testifies, even though time and again, evidence and uh, studies and the Innocence Projects all prove up that eyewitnesses and percipient witnesses and snitches are the worst form of evidence. Juries love it. They love someone to get up there and say, I saw the person who did it, and there he is. He's right. right I there. mean, there's, there's so much drama. <laughs> right? There's so much drama in that, um, in that scene. And it sort of strikes me that um, the drama of serial, like telling the story that is pressing all of these or raising all these ethical alarm flags for us. Um, I mean, that's what prosecutors and defense lawyers do anyway, right? So yeah. like, is it so different for a podcast to be telling this story? No, no. And that's what's great about this podcast. What she's done, you know, at Court TV, we did a lot of run of the mill trials, but we made our living and most journalists make their living on the big cases, right? Uh, the O.J. Simpsons, the Scott Petersons, the really, really big cases, or, you know, uh, the big baseball scandals, anything that uh, captures the nation's attention. What I love about this is this is a case most people have never heard about, except, you know, if you Mm -hmm. lived right there in, in Baltimore. This is every person's trial and every family's nightmare, whether you're the victim's family or the defendant's family. 
Well, and it's raising so many questions for me and I'm sure for a lot of people about the legal process. So the one that really stuck out to me from this episode is that, um, you know, Adnan didn't testify. Oh, my goodness. Right. Bad decision. Well, and then yeah. the judge instructs the jury, you can't hold that against him. Right. And of course they did. Of course. And I'm sitting there thinking... I mean, how can you tell somebody not to think what they think, right? I mean, you know, on an intellectual level, <laughs> right. they say, okay, right, I'm not supposed to hold that against him. But on a more emotional level, they're saying, well, why didn't he talk to us? So right. I mean, did, that, did it surprise you at all to hear the jurors saying that? No, yeah. because they always say that. I've pulled my own jurors. They always say that. And very rarely do defendants testify. They can't testify. Why? Because they have long criminal records that come out on cross-examination. Have you ever been in trouble with the law? Yes. How many times? Well, I was arrested. And then they start listing their rap sheet from the age of, you know, post-juvenile period, depending on the state that they're in. Right. But here's why he should have testified. Did he have a criminal record? No. No. (laughs) We heard in the very first episode about what a star this kid was. So there was no reason. Well, there, of course, was a reason. He was going to be cross-examined. It was going to be pretty brutal. He was going to have to hold up under cross-examination. But this was one of those rare cases where I would have had Adnan testify. Because the jury really needed to hear from him why he didn't do it, that he didn't do it. And the lovable, likable kid that everyone seems to think he is, well, the jury needed to meet that kid. Right. Right. By all accounts, he was this charismatic star, athlete, you know, tons of friends. And it was so striking because Jay was such a personable sort of um, charming figure as well. Yeah. It seems yeah. you know he was polite. He was alert. He followed the defense lawyer, who I'm sure we'll talk about later. Incredibly abrasive. Incredibly unsympathetic. I ugh. well, in that clips. one that one moment where he um, he seemed to throw her off. I don't know if I was misinterpreting it, but she's asking him about what would have happened if he were to have cheated on Stephanie. I assume stepped she, out. Yeah, stepped out. <laughs> if she if he had stepped out on on her, and I assume this is really. I, I took this to be the first alternative theory of the crime right. that has been put forward, even though it wasn't totally explicit. What was being implied, I think, is that if he had cheated on Stephanie, he risked losing her, and maybe that was threatening to him, and that's why he lashed out. Or perhaps there were just some there were some problems in the relationship that was making that were making him insecure and jealous of Adnan, who was so close to Stephanie in the first place. Right. Good point. So, but then when she's asking him, he says, uh, "With whom?" You know, and it totally (laughs) throws her off because she has nowhere to go. She hasn't thought it through that far. None of the theories of the crime, by the way, work for me. Right. I mean, to be fair to the police. Uh, and I'm often critical of the police. I think they were pretty thorough in their investigation of this crime. And Jim points out the, the expert she train consults. Him. Oh, train yeah, yeah. Him, mm-hmm. She consults with. They looked at four potential suspects in this crime: the two boyfriends, the ex-boyfriend, the current boyfriend. They look at Jay, right? And they look at the guy who discovers the body. That's at least four people we know of that they consider. That's a pretty thorough investigation for a police department. Usually they zero in on boyfriend one and boyfriend two, and that's it. Well, and they did zero in eventually. I mean, I'm curious what you thought of the way that, you know, once they had Adnan, right, who they, you know, were suspicious of right away, which makes sense. He's the ex-boyfriend. But then once Jay gives him to them, 
then it does, you know, uh, Trainum brought up the idea of verification bias yes. and the way that, you know, they didn't give Jay a lie detector test. They didn't uh, search, search his house. His home. Yeah. Right, right. The verification bias is a huge problem. But but the quote that really stood out for me in this episode, and this is this is where the, the whole case is emblematic of a problem in law enforcement across the board. She says, but all facts are friendly facts. It's called bad evidence. Right. You don't want to do something if it's going to go against your theory of the case. But but, but then, I, see, I, I don't get that. I mean, that's like my father used to always say, all facts are friendly. Like, shouldn't that be more true for a cop than for anyone else? Like, you you can't, they're, you're, you can't pick and choose. It's just such a lovely quote, and it's a journalist quote, right? right? A yeah. journalist thinks that. He says no, rather than try to get to the truth. What you're trying to do is build your case and make it the strongest case possible. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was so tantalizing and frustrating to hear about those pre-interview hours, right, where basically the police officers and Jay are collaborating on creating the most compelling and coherent account of what had happened. Um, And just the idea that all those conversations happened and we will never know exactly how they unfolded, um, but it seems so crucial. Well, this is why I think that even if the show ends up being essentially a meditation on not exactly the nature of truth, but the relationship between truth and the legal process, it will be a great show, as I think it's been so far, because it's raising these kinds of questions that I think a lot of us don't think about that often. Yeah. And the way that, I mean, this may be uh, too meta even for us, but the, but the way that the police are, are working did also remind me of the way journalists sometimes work, not the best ones, we hope. But verification bias kicks in when you're telling a story as well. And there are things that you see that seem like bad evidence. You know, th- yeah. the way that stories Absolutely. determine how much of what we do and what the cops do and what lawyers do. The, 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 uh, a trial is essentially two competing stories, right? I mean, that's... And we hope the truth will emerge. Right. But they are stories. And stories are imperfect and they are shaped and they are crafted. And it seems like, to me, Adnan's lawyer did, you know, failed, as, as you were implying before, I think, to craft yeah. another story. Maybe that's because there isn't one. Well, or the, maybe she just didn't do a good enough job. The, the worst jobs I've seen on the part of lawyers is due to the failure to craft your own narrative. That's, you, you've, t- you, you've hit it right on the head. Either the defense or the prosecution. It can be either side. And sometimes in a civil trial, they, they don't have a story. They're going to go in there and they're going to present their facts. Well, uh, you know, as John Adams said, facts are stubborn things and they're there and you've got to deal with them. And, and that you've got to have your facts, but you have to hang your narrative on the facts or you lose the jury. Right. And or the judge even. Sometimes you just have a judge you're working with, but you have to have a compelling narrative. And it's got to be one single clear narrative, not, well, we have this theory. And if you don't like this theory, we've got this other theory over here you can choose. Juries don't like that. They want you to give them the story. And here the prosecution had a very compelling narrative and the defense was just going with reasonable doubt. And that never sells a jury. Oh, and there was also that moment when they went to talk to Jay at his home. And it completely reminds me of what you were just saying, because um, Julie, I think, uh, Sarah, the person that Sarah took to speak to Jay with, um, 
basically was nudged onto Jay's team a little bit. And she said, wow, just the fact of hearing this human being um, say these words to me, just, you know, recite a claim, I felt like I was on his side. Yeah, I mean, I thought that one of the really impressive things about this episode and, you know, it gets to one of the strengths of this American life in general is the way it humanized him, right? That we had we had been hearing his name mm-hmm. and hearing these old tapes where he's talking to cops and he's a teenager and he's in this stressful situation and he seems so suspicious. And then you hear him on the stand and you get this secondhand account of, of what he was like. And then a lot of other accounts from his friends and he becomes this real person and it becomes harder to say oh it was probably that other guy you know because Mm -hmm. you realize that you know I mean ultimately somebody did this somebody committed this horrible crime it's going to be a real person and it's going now do you find yourself thinking like a journalist as you're listening okay at the beginning she knew she had to try and get jay she had to get adnan she had to get all these characters she couldn't get jay and so she realized she had to build to jay and this is the moment she got and so she wrote to that moment do, do you I, find yeah. yourself thinking about that? i do and or i wonder i do and do you it's let like, go of that while you listen <laughs> now i can't let go and it's like what you were saying about being a lawyer and you can't turn that part of your brain off and i wonder to what extent you know, people like Katie and myself and some of the other guests we've had on before who are all basically journalists, you know, are thinking about it in those terms. And yeah. you're thinking about the story that is cra- – I think that they're crafting a masterful story, but I'm always thinking about it that way too. Yeah, yeah I don't mm-hmm. fault her. I mean, Katie, I know – I felt – I guess I felt kind of let down by the J piece. I, 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 I don't fault – you can't get everybody. Some people say no to the interview. And Jay had every reason to say no. I was surprised he invited them into the house. Right. But I I felt a little, and I think given what they had, they did the best they could with it. They created an entire episode around it. They built to it. They wrote to it. But knowing how journalism works, I felt a little manipulated by it. And a little let down. I wanted Jay to be a bigger character. Adnan's a huge character. Why isn't Jay a huge character? You know, so I just, I don't know how lay listeners feel. I just kind of wonder, I guess you'll hear from them. I mean, on one hand, I was disappointed that we didn't get to hear from present day Jay, although that debriefing period in the car, I guess that, I mean, yeah, yeah, it was smart, but it was also a little bit questionable. I wonder how much Jay had consented to having his statements rehashed in the car. Well, I don't know that he needs to consent. It's just if he, if if they gave him the impression that it was off the record, then it becomes questionable, but there's no indication that it was. I mean, to my mind, it's true that, I mean, this gets again to just Well, he has to be savvy enough to know. Know, right? Mm-hmm. To say right. this is off the record. I mean, in terms of what they did get out of Jay, um, they were really lucky that he happens to be such a fascinating character, the Dennis Rodman of his social circle with, <laughs> you know, changing hairstyles and a lip ring back then. And I think, I mean, it was a really, I loved this episode. I thought it was a captivating episode and it had a lot to do with, you know, what a sort of likable but complex portrait of Jay we got. You know, on the one hand, he is the guy who threatens playfully to stab his friend. Yeah, that's, true. Um, that's amazing. But on on the other hand, he's goofy and sweet. It was just like a really interesting portrait. 
Well, and that's to their credit, I think, because you, you know, like I said, as a journalist, you are you're trying to collect facts and you want to collect them all and not um, shrug away the ones that seem like, you know, quote unquote, bad evidence. Right. And I think they did a really good job of bringing in all these different things about him. You know, you hear one thing and think, oh, wait, he's, you know, he was intimidating or, you know, but then you hear other things and think, well, you know, he seems like an interesting, complicated guy. None of this says he was guilty or not guilty. He was just, he was a person and, you know, somebody did this, but, um, you know, I thought they made him complex and human and, and that was really important. I think they've taken on an incredibly challenging task journalistically. They have a, a, a hugely complicated story that took place 15 years ago. And, you know, we generally as journalists tell stories that are taking place now. Right. Today, yeah. maybe one day ago. I mean, the whole journalist, journalism is about the now. It's never about the ago. I mean, you know, occasionally you have to go back in time, but usually it's about now. It's, you know, history in the making. Right. And then the complexity of the case itself, the lack of evidence, is in some ways more complex than a case that had a lot of evidence. So uh, she's taken on a lot, and, and she, she's, I think, quite impeccable in her presentation. You know, when I say I feel manipulated, I think it's only because I know what goes into the presentation of a journal. We know how the sausage is made. Right. And right? that changes the way we and think it of it. The way we well, that sets up perfectly my last question for you because we always talk about what our burning questions are. Right. And if it's okay, I'm going to start with mine because you've made me think of it, which is we actually got in this episode yet another story of the crime. Not a different, you know, theory of the crime. It's the same basic uh, players in the same basic account. But this time from Jay's friend Chris, he says he was at a pool hall. Yeah, that was weird. Mm. And that he got a call from Adnan saying, hey, I, I need your help. And then he said that, that actually Adnan had strangled Hay in the parking lot of the library. I mean, it was <laughs> this, like you said, this case is so complex, and it seems like on the one hand we are circling around the same players. I've seen, you know, what seemed to me sort of crazy theories online about other, you know, what if it was this other person we never even heard about, et cetera. But in general, it's circling around these people, and yet nothing quite matches up. And now I finished this episode thinking, wait, could it have happened? I mean, Asia said that she saw him at the library, right? Right. But on the other hand, at such a public place at that moment, right. right, there would have been so many people around. So I didn't know what to think. Jamie, did you have questions like that, that when this episode ended, you thought, well, I hope they yeah, get to I this did. next week? Your burning question goes to the fact that people's memories are so fallible. And in any trial, in any criminal case, we never have all the answers. And we're very uncomfortable with that fact. We want the answers. You know, the John Benet Ramsey case, people still want the answer, and we're probably never going to know the answer. Um, and we're, especially as Americans, very uncomfortable with the lack of certainty in criminal cases. And we may never know the answer in this case. People, people, we may never know. <laughs> Prepare yourself. Um, yes, I have a burning question, and I will uh, let the listeners in on a little secret. We chatted before we started rolling <laughs> um, that my two burning questions are related. You told me they're related. They are related. Um, so, Katie, you might not know my two burning questions are related. And they are that there's a reference that Sarah makes somewhere along the line to two trials. Right. To the mid And I, I didn't 
quite get it. And I've gone back and listened, trying to figure out what the two trials are. And that relates to my other burning question. I got to know more about this defense lawyer. And is she going to do an episode on this this seemingly wacky lawyer, although apparently very well regarded at the height of her career? Yeah. Yeah, Those are my burning questions. And they're related, apparently. They're very good ones. I mean, there was a mistrial. And I thought that by now we would have heard more about it and more explanation about why there was a mistrial mm-hmm. and, and and to what extent that colors the second trial. And then this attorney who, you know, was later, um, you know, upbraided for, for um, you know, some of her work. And you, you yourself, Jamie, said, said it seemed like she did a crummy job. Yeah. And she was at the center of the mistrial issue. It's, it appears so that way. I hope way. we yeah. hear a lot more about her. What about you, Katie? Sure. Well, so my biggest question, I think, at this point is, if Adnan didn't do it, why wouldn't he just step up and contradict Jay? I mean, there are so many inconsistencies that point to both Adnan and Jay being involved in this somehow. I'm not sure if you guys feel the same way, but it seems clear to me that they both had something to do with what happened. And at this point, Adnan takes the... 100% of the fall. So, like, what does he possibly have to gain from just being the sole perpetrator? Like, why can't he come back at Jay and say, well, yeah, I participated to this extent, but Jay actually participated to that extent? You know, why wouldn't he to say anything to to disrupt the narrative that Jay is weaving. Well, I mean, that reminds me, though, of something that uh, Deirdre Enright said last week, which is that, you know, if he is innocent, he's not going to be very helpful. Right. Because if he is innocent, and I, you know, I don't know what I think at this point, but if he is innocent, then of course he wouldn't say I participated to that extent because in he that didn't. case he didn't. Right, and innocent people never have evidence to prove their innocence, or rarely do, because you weren't doing anything, so you don't have a reason to construct an alibi and figure out uh, what you were doing at X hour on such and such a date. But I I guess what you're saying, Katie, is you want Sarah to ask him, point blank, why didn't you testify? Yeah, but also, I mean, do you guys buy that he's not involved at all? I mean, do you think that's even Uh, plausible? Yeah, I think it's possible. I'll tell you what is not possible. Jay is involved on some level. Yes. Because he led the police to the vehicle. Right. He knows too much to have had no involvement. Right. You know what? Maybe he is Sarah and Deirdre's charming sociopath. She said, you know, you'd be too lucky if it turned out to be Adnan. Maybe it's Jay. They'd still be pretty lucky there. I think <laughs> we, those are our uh, burning questions. We got, like I said before, so many emails. We're going to read from some of the emails we got this week. But before we do, I want to say thank you so much to Jamie Floyd. Jamie, it was great to have you here. And it was great to get the perspective of somebody who has been in a courtroom and has, and has covered cases yourself. So thank you so much. Thank you. It was terrific fun. Before we go any further, I need to mention that the Serial Spoilers Special has a sponsor. We want to say thank you to Squarespace for supporting the Spoiler Special and adding even more S's to a podcast that already has more of them than I can get out of my mouth every week. If you're like me, you can remember trying to build a website in years gone by, and you needed to know HTML, and you didn't, and the result was really unprofessional looking, which didn't help at all. 
but Squarespace has made building a website so much easier. So use Squarespace to make a simple but powerful website that looks great on any device. You can even create an online store. And Squarespace has 24-7 support via live chat and email. All of that for just 8 bucks a month. Plus, you can get a free domain if you buy Squarespace for a year. Start a trial with no credit card required and start building your website today. Go to squarespace.com and get 10% off your first purchase when you enter the offer code SPOILER. Make sure to use that offer code to let them know you heard about it on the Serial Spoiler Special. That's squarespace.com and the offer code SPOILER. Squarespace. Start here. Go anywhere. So on to the next thing. Listener mail. Our producer, Joel, is going to read some of it to us. Joel? Hey, David and Katie. You know, just listening to you guys talking with Jamie there, you guys seem to think that this episode, episode 8, was pretty satisfying. But last week, when we were talking about episode 7, it was kind of a different story when we had Amanda Hess in here. You guys were sort of negative on what we were calling sort of a sidecar episode. It seemed like it was going off in the weeds a little bit, or maybe even off a cliff, I think is like sort of a term that was used. (laughs) And I think a lot of listeners disagreed with you, and I wanted to make sure that they had their say. So Callie had this to say, I really felt like it was a turning point rather than a placeholder. Scott said this, you guys are missing how important episode seven was for setting up some kind of closure for Serial. The involvement of the Innocence team, meaning Deirdre Enright, will likely drive us towards something more concrete. Their conclusion about his innocence or their theory on the murder will be the climax and the ending of the season I guarantee it. So Scott <laughs> guarantees that this is what's going to happen. So we can hold maybe, you to that. We can maybe check in with Scott a little bit later. Here's what Amy wrote. You guys keep being annoyed that Serial brings up issues that are dead ends or veers into something like the Innocence Project. I think it's because this podcast is as much about investigation and discovery as it is about the case. It's a narrative, yes, but it's a narrative of her investigation, not a narrative of the case. So, uh, David, Katie, uh, what do you think of these harsh criticisms? You know what? I I hear them, and I would add that Serial, at its worst, um, is still totally engrossing. And um, I really even enjoyed um, Episode 7, although I was frustrated by it, as we talked about last time. Yeah, I mean, for me, the, the question that these uh, emails raise... Uh, most uh, strikingly is this question of narrative and the story that that this podcast is telling I thought that one from Amy about how this is really in a sense Sarah Koenig's story she's the protagonist I think that's a complicated position to be in but it makes sense and it also raises for us as listeners the question of what we're listening for that you know we keep coming back to this point but it's such an important one that this is a, a real a real life case and I think for me, the most um, the most sort of uh, cutting uh, critiques are about tone. And what I certainly don't want to to be flip or glib about uh, about, you know, this this real life situation. At the same time, I, I do want us to raise questions about how the story is being told. And I mean, even, you know, pivoting off that that uh, point from Amy, you could raise the question as a journalist, should Sarah be the protagonist of the story? Right. I mean, as it is, it seems like our frustration at being left hanging is sort of a feature, not a bug, right? Because it's a suspense story. Right. Um, But again, the sort of slow and calculated unspooling of details and information and whatever it is that Sarah does know, I mean, from a true crime perspective, that could be seen as very problematic. 
I think that they have generally done a masterful job. But, you know, that email from Scott, you know, he says that the Innocence Project is going to kind of come in at the end. And right. that's going to be the climax. And we don't know that. And I, I'm not sure that that's true. Well, Sc- Scott apparently does because he just <laughs> guarantees it. it. Right. But well, if that is true, that would completely justify what I what I continue to contend is a little bit of a, a digression. I mean, it right. would be one thing if they had reported the results of the Innocence Project's investigation. That would be completely on point. But the fact that we were just introduced to some new characters, I do think that that was, that was something that was happening on the periphery of what we had come to know as our serial story. So those are just a few of the many, many emails we got this week. Actually, a lot of them were just raising some of the questions that, that we talked about today in terms of you know, Jay's involvement and, and motive and, and so on and so forth. We do want to hear from you. We're at podcast at slate.com. So before we go, we wanted to talk to someone who's doing something really interesting here in New York. Her name is Rehan Harmansi. And uh, Rehan, as I understand it, you are uh, hosting a serial meetup. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um... It is very interesting. Um, yeah, I think after exhausting all known electronic platforms of discussion, um, I really wanted to talk to people in person. Well, first, I'm just curious when you started uh, doing this. I think the email chain got kicked off a few weeks ago, um, and then it was kind of figuring out when and where people could meet. Wait, are these people that you know or just strangers? Oh, yeah, yeah, who? Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, they're friends. For now, or maybe you know, <laughs> you'll make new friends. But so I'm curious whether that changes uh, the experience of the show. Well, so we've only had one meetup, and it definitely it was good because it reminded me of things that I had forgotten or failed to take notice of, having listened to it the first time. Yeah, I mean, I find that every every week uh, one of the challenges of doing of doing this podcast. There's so much to process usually and some people notice things that you don't and you know sometimes you get things wrong yeah and you know it's hard to overstate how much talking at work i do about cereal um (laughs) i work at fast company and we're all obsessed we have a room in our slack group chat about it like six im windows open on thursdays talking about it but um this was a chance to talk to people outside of my daily circle um Like some college friends, like one of them who's a lawyer. So what was this like? And where did you go? What was the exact, were there cocktails? Were there costumes? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, so it's sort of funny. Uh, we went to the Algonquin. Um, um, the Algonquin being a, a, a legendary hotel in New York where there was the round table. Mm-hmm. In the 1920s. And then some genius on our email thread christened it the sound table. <laughs> It worked out okay. Like, it was a bar. There was a table. We pushed a lot of chairs together. Um, there was around 12 people there. 12, that's a good number for <laughs> a, <laughs> a very trial. Number. Well, that, that raises this other question for me. I'm curious to hear, you know, one of the things that we have struggled with on the podcast is, uh, you know, this is a very entertaining show, but, it, but it's about a real-life case. Do you guys struggle with that? I mean, here you are meeting. It's this social occasion. It's this fun thing. But there's this, you know, real young woman who was horribly murdered and a person who's in prison for it who may or may not have done it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good point. And I think that's something that, you know, all listeners to this, I think are it's, it's part of the experience of it, you know, because there are certain elements that have become like memes on the Internet, like male came chimp. Right. Um, and I love that stuff. Like, I've 
very much indulged in that. But one of the things we talked about the most was Hayes' family's lack of participation in the podcast thus far. Right. And, you know, that upset, I think, a lot of people. You know, it's something we haven't touched on a great deal yet, and I hope that we will get to it because I think it's an interesting question. I, I come around to the thought that it might be more painful for them uh, to participate than not to, uh, which which raises this question of, of what is um, most journalistically value mm-hmm. valuable versus what is most ethical. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I do think, I'm mean, so cur- interested to hear about this, and I, I hope that you'll let us know how future meetups go because I think that actually being there with other people, you know, it seems to me brings these questions to light in a way that just listening by yourself, uh, you know, maybe doesn't do quite as much. Yeah. And I I mean, A, I hope you guys come. (laughs) And B, I'm really excited that the next meeting, I have a friend who is actually an attorney who works on um, the Innocence Project. And I'm so excited to, to hear her perspective on this. So yeah, you guys got to come. All right. Thank you for the invitation. No problem. Rehan Harmansi, Fast Company employee by day, serial obsessive by night. And we're curious uh, of you too, listeners. How are you experiencing it? Are you meeting up with people? Uh, you know, Who are you having these conversations with? Send us an email. We're at podcast at slate.com. That does it for today's spoiler special. Thank you again to our guest, Jamie Floyd. And Katie, thanks as always. Thanks. I'll see you at the Algonquin Sound Table. <laughs> yeah, I'll see you there. <laughs> All right. Join us again after you listen to next week's episode. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes by searching for Serial Spoiler. Our producer is Joel Meyer. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Andy Bowers. For Katie Waldman and Jamie Floyd, I'm David Hagland. Talk to you next week. I'm Hannah Rosen. This week on the Double X Gab Fest, we're going to talk about Amy Poehler's new book, Yes, Please, and whether we still love her after reading it. Find out on Thursday's Double X Gab Fest. Look for us in the Slate store on iTunes or at slate.com slash podcasts.